Welcome back to Plantopia. Plantopia is the plant health podcast of the American Phytopathological Society, and I'm your host, Jim Brady. I'm a professor of plant pathology and associate vice president at Colorado State University. And this is the final episode of season three of Plantopia. I encourage our listeners to stay tuned following today's conversation for an exciting announcement about big changes that are coming to season four. Today, we are welcoming a very special guest. I'm excited to talk with Dr. Rubella Goswami. Rubella completed her undergraduate degree in agriculture in India, a master's degree in molecular biology from the University of Nottingham in the UK, and a PhD in plant pathology at the University of Minnesota, where she was advised by Dr. Corby Kistler. Now, I've known Rubella for more than 20 years, really since her days as a PhD student, and I think of her as both a colleague and a friend. And Rubella has really had a very unique career path and, and stellar professional impacts. After finishing her PhD, Rubella first completed a postdoc at Simon Fraser University in Canada before joining the faculty at North Dakota State University as an assistant professor. At NDSU, Rubella served as a pulse crop pathologist, contributing to both the research and teaching impacts of the university. But in 2011, Rubella left her position with NDSU to join DuPont Crop Protection as a research scientist. There, she led biological research projects that supported the discovery of novel chemical solutions to pest challenges. With DuPont for nearly four years, Rubella then made the unusual transition back to academia, joining the faculty at Delaware State University, a federally designated HBCU or, or historically black college or university. At Delaware State, Rubella led plant health research on crops important to the state and the region, mentored undergraduate and graduate students, and taught plant science courses at the undergraduate and graduate levels. But in 2017, Rubella's career took another sharp turn. That year, she joined the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture, or USDA NEFA, as a program lead in the biological sciences. And this was a very impactful role, and Rubella worked with stakeholders and partners to identify relevant challenges and develop response programs and opportunities to mitigate these problems. In 2019, Rubella moved just down the road to USDA APHIS, the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, where she served for two years as a branch chief before being promoted to assistant director of USDA APHIS, Plant Protection and Quarantine, or APHIS-PPQ. And for our listeners who may not be familiar, USDA APHIS is an important plant health agency of the U.S. government that is positioned to identify and mitigate risks to U.S. plant health. Today, Rubella is Division Director of Plant Protection with USDA NEFA. In this role, she provides leadership and oversight for the division's research, education, and outreach activities across the nation through granting programs. She supervises a team of national program leaders, program specialists, and support staff associated with NEFA's efforts in plant health-related areas. And as you might imagine, for someone with such a varied career history, Rubella has an extensive list of research publications, invited seminars, and awards. And she's been actively engaged in APS. Currently, she serves on the annual meeting board, the APS committee, that, as the name implies, coordinates and executes the annual plant health meeting. Rubella, it is such an honor to have you on Plantopia. Welcome. Thank you, Jim. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. It's always fun catching up and I look forward to the conversation. Me too. 
So let's start at the beginning of, of your uh, career and really your interest in, in plant pathology. How did you end up choosing plant pathology as a career path? It's interesting. I actually come from a family of physicians for several generations on both sides. So as I was so-called a good student, I was expected to go into science and everybody thought I would become a doctor. And I must say it was a bit of a surprise when I decided to go into agriculture. And I still remember my friends saying, oh, you're just starting off and then you'll go back into medicine. That didn't happen because I really enjoyed it. And I did my undergraduate in India. I would give a lot of credit to the program as well. I had an elective in genetics and plant breeding, but the way the programs are designed, it follows the U.S. land grant system. And we go through almost all the different subject areas in ag. So starting from plant pathology, entomology, agronomy, horticulture, all the way to animal science, extension, ag economics, ag engineering. So it's a holistic, uh, such a holistic effort that I really found it fascinating. And the biggest thing is it showed me the difference that could be made, especially coming from a country where there was a lot of subsistence farming, there still is, how much agriculture really touches and how much of a difference it can make to the people was something that really moved me. And I continued there, took it up as a challenge because I was less than 1% of the class was female. We had to drive tractors and were even given a plot to grow our own rice. The thing, so it was great. I graduated actually top of the class and ended up getting an opportunity to go to the University of Nottingham to do my master's, as, as Jim was mentioning. The course was called Plant Genetic Manipulation, essentially pathological biology. And those were the times where there was a lot of work going on, um, genetic engineering, transgenics, and so on and so forth. So my master's work was developing a transformation protocol for ornamental Nicotiana species, trying to make them more dwarf so they could be grown in plots. And it was fun amongst the graduate students because I was using a gene from pumpkin. So I was using a pumpkin gene to make a tall plant. Anyway, so that was my master's work. I worked with a lot of very well-established scientists. By the end of it, I decided I wanted some real-life taste. I was also offered a, a pretty prestigious uh, scholarship to continue to be able to do a PhD at Nottingham, but I turned that down came and joined the Tata Energy Research Institute in India and worked in a facility at a pilot plant for large-scale tissue culture while also doing some research on the transgenic aspect of it. So I'm telling you the whole story because it's all these different steps that decided me and brought me to plant pathology. So while I was there, I realized if I really wanted to go into research and science, I probably had to get a PhD. But it was a big commitment. It was five years without a salary, without a proper salary. And it was also something that I thought as if I did go into it, I'm committing my life to science. And so before taking that decision, I actually stepped away for a bit and I worked as a career counselor. It was, I think, one of the most interesting experiences and something that has come out to be very helpful for me to work there. I was involved in counseling undergraduate students, graduate students, and also some recruitment for University of Nottingham itself. While I was going to other SLPs, I certainly got convinced that I needed to go 
back to graduate school. And then I must say at that point, I was a little bit more selective because I knew that I wanted to do PhD. I love the molecular aspect, but I did like to see the effect of things out of the field. So that translational research is the place that I wanted to be. And plant pathology was one of those subject areas that I could do Plus, very practically speaking, is not does it not only did it have that aspect, it also was going to give me a lot of opportunities. If I could do well in academia, that's great, but it would also open doors in industry for me. If I wanted, I could go into regulatory and it didn't matter where it is. So all of these things together brought me to plant pathology and amongst all the universities, course, University of Minnesota with Norman Borlaug, Stakeman, and everything together, all the great people and all the great uh, mentors available there was a choice. So that came in into the circle of once I got into pathology, continued there. I ask a lot of people that very question, and I don't think I've ever received an answer that was as strategic as yours. And so many of us bump into plant pathology almost accidentally. And you were very strategic and thoughtful about your educational path. And I think that's really reflected in your career path that we'll get into in just a moment. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So you mentioned a moment ago that friends and family were really surprised that you elected a career in agriculture. What do they think today? So... Putting it in this way, I think uh, the greatest validation I got was when my mother admitted that she has been telling people that not everybody needs to become a doctor. And her daughter is an example of a person who can do as well in a different field. My brother, by the way, is a doctor, so she has that satisfaction of balance. But she did admit that you can do as well, not only in other fields, for me, to be honest, Putting it, there was this stereotype. If you were smart and if you were good at science, you became a doctor or an engineer and nothing else was considered as good. But being able to break that stereotype was a big deal. And also something that I tell my son and I tell my students is whatever it is, you need food to survive. Without food, there would be no health. There would be no people. At least the way we know people right now. So... I am very happy with my choice. There are lots of smart people who can become doctors. I'm a doctor of plants. That's the other side of it. Even if I make a mistake, it probably doesn't look as bad sometimes. And I like that perspective that without agriculture, without plant pathology, there wouldn't be food. There wouldn't be people. And and this really is a a broader system. And uh, we all are contributing in many different ways. And there are many different career paths. Now, you know, when I think about your educational history and also your, your working career, it's been very international. You, for example, have studied on three different continents. Could you talk a little bit about what it was like for you as an international student and how these global perspectives have really influenced your career and, and how you think of plant pathology today? Sure. I think, just as you said, I've worked and I've studied in three different countries. And I think what that has helped me do is also get a perspective and a better understanding 
of the importance of the cultures, of the different aspects that really influence society and pathology, the whole field of agriculture as a whole. Now, I came to the U.S. with two suitcases and a husband who was going to stay several thousand miles away. Then at each stage, we had challenges as international students coming in, starting from our visa status to getting used to the culture, to the food. And I must say now, things are way, way better than it was 15, 20 years ago when I came to the U.S. It's communication wasn't as easy. There was not as much information available. So we went through quite a lot. And thankfully, thanks to technology, thanks to the effort of a lot of people on both sides, those things have become much better. But what I found is keeping an open mind and being flexible, being open to accepting things really helps in adjusting to a new culture. And also, I think it has become better on both sides. As more international people come into the country, there is more international collaborations and global presence. Even the general public, as we would call it, or everybody around us is becoming more aware. It's oftentimes the fear of a no from both sides that creates a lot of distress and a lot of stress. But just developing that understanding and that acceptance, I think, really helps. And I take my international and my background across as a big asset, because when I look at things, it helps me get that global perspective so much, which in, if there is wheat blast in Bangladesh, I know how things are happening in Bangladesh. I understand how things are happening in neighboring India. It's going to be a threat to the U.S. And I know how it's easier to understand and easier to also gauge what is feasible under those situations, what's going to be effective. And with that understanding, proceed to take decisions of how things need to be handled. So this is a very practical example of things that are having that global scale. For example, when I was in AFIS, we used to deal with a lot in my role there. I led the national taxonomists who were responsible for identification of anything unknown that came in, came into the country. And we would get these shipments of things and try to come up with policies that would help mitigate them entering our borders. And that knowledge of how things come in, where from where, and what are the realities? Oftentimes, nobody intentionally wants to cross harm, but what is feasible is that understanding really helps. And so for international students, I would say it's not easy to leave home. It's not easy to come into a new country and adjust to a new culture. But eventually, everybody is human. So if you take that human aspect and try to build those connections, it ends up working. And everybody has their challenges. Even in all these years that I've been here and my son has grown up here as an American in this culture, he has his challenges. We had our challenges. So nobody comes with a silver spoon, really. Everybody fights up to being where they are. So that's what I think overall, having that international perspective has really helped me, not only in my job, but generally in life as well. Thanks for sharing that. 
And I'm curious, really, we're talking about your experiences as an international student coming to the U.S. What advice do you have for U.S.-born students that, that are thinking about or are working towards a career in plant pathology? Where, where do you think international experiences fit in for U.S.-born? I think if they have an opportunity to really go and work in a country that has a very different climatic situation, a very different, I would say, development situation or stage of development of farming style, that would really be helpful for them. And especially if, if you're looking at having flexibility in your career. For example, when I was in academia, see, uh, being in North Dakota, I was a brown woman in North Dakota coming in, working straight with growers. So it was not an easy transition. It was not easy for them to accept me as someone who's going to guide them perhaps to take care of some of the diseases. And in some cases, I had to make an extra effort. But I also have to understand it wasn't easy for either side to do that. Similarly, if our students are able to go to a different country and understand that culture, it's going to open up their opportunities and their ability overall. And also, at this point of time, everything is so global. No matter where you are in academia, you are in a multinational company where you're running field trials all over the country, you are in government where you are talking trade with other countries. I think that experience is a study abroad experience or even a postdoc abroad experience or an internship abroad experience, anything that can be done, I think is very important. And when you are there, make sure you go out and see in the field. Don't just confine yourself to a lab and just run a few experiments and get it to know the, the system there. Yeah, I thank you for those perspectives. Lamphology and I'm sure human health as well. These are professions or disciplines that are truly global in scope. And as you say, a plant health problem on one side of the world is just a, a plane ride away. So it is important to have these global perspectives. So we've talked a little bit already about your career. I just want to point out that you're probably the only person that I know working in plant pathology who has really the, the trifecta <laughs> of experiences. You've been in academia, you've been in industry, you're, you're with government. Would you talk a little bit about that journey and how from your career, each of those opportunities and challenges has shaped the person you've become? Sure. I would say each of these experiences has added, I take it, a very vital skill set or knowledge set that no training or degree could give me. If I just take it, looking at the bigger view, in academia is a very nurturing environment. So when you look at it trained me well, it helped me build my network. It helped me set myself up into this leadership type of roles. Then I moved into industry. Industry gave me that real world punch, the survival skills. What can be translated? What is it that it actually takes to take all our fancy research to commercialization? And then, of course, learning about economics, learning about the management aspect. That was a real-life experience, I would say, taught me my survival skills. And then coming into the government, I think, was the best place where I could pull all these experiences together. Now I hope to be able to 
made some strategies, helped build programs that would bring both academia and industry together to solve the big things that the government needs to do for the country as a whole. So these are those bits and pieces that slowly build things up. If we go down a little bit into the weeds, just as an example, I, I was as I was talking about how I got into pathology, I'm saying I had, I took a stint as a career counseling. And when I became a faculty initially, it was not a training or anything, but that career counseling experience really helped me deal with students and mentor students, get them through. Similarly, when I came into industry, they hired me for my technical skills and background, but it was just a side project on fundicide resistance and development of a very useful tool that we had in our lab, which triggered them to bring me in. And my first very successful project there was based on just using high throughput robots, which in those times, dating myself was the beginning of things where having that experience really helped me here. And then when I came into the government and you had you saw that I had jumped from an 1862 Land Grant University to an 1890 Land Grant University and coming to NIFA, understanding those two cultures was extremely valuable other than my industry experience, which the Six Sigma trend and all of that is also applicable in the government, which I did get in industry. So overall, I think each of these experiences has really served as a place to get training and, and learn. I hope to continue to learn. I like new things. I like taking new challenges. So in each of those sectors, though, you could have had a really successful career. In fact, most of us they had one, one of those sectors throughout our, our career. It, it is clear that you've used these very strategically to really become the professional you are today. I think the question that's really on my mind, though, is why? Why did you transition? What was your thought process that, that made you move, for example, from academia to industry? It was probably not as strategic as it sounds, Chip, out there. I love that. I had built a lab and I had a very nice group to work with. So I was very attached to it, but then what was a reality of life comes in where you're bad balancing family and work. And most of my family, whatever I had in the U.S. was in the East Coast. In fact, very honestly speaking, I was putting my tenure package together and my husband took my resume and sent it off for the position that I eventually got because... He wanted to get out of the cold and come to the East Coast. So that was a nudge. That's one thing. But on the other side, I was working with industry anyway as a part of my position. So not that I was opposed to that shift, but maybe I wouldn't have done that shift had the situation been different. And I don't necessarily, and I think in the long run, it really helped me though I still had a soft format for academia because of which I ended up switching back again after having that experience in industry. And that's why I think for students or even faculty or any anybody in whichever role on both sides, I think that experience, that cross-training 
if there is a possibility of doing that is extremely valuable, even if it is short term, just to get an understanding, because there are some personalities, the way what drives you, that drive, that passion for people sometimes varies. And you may be a better fit for one than the other, instead of just sticking to one, because that's the best way to do it based on who you are interacting with at that point of time may not necessarily be true. So it does have also have other advantages in terms of collaborations, in terms of networks, in terms of broad thinking and uh, those things. But just even in career career development, just finding your best fit makes a difference. So this part of the story was uh, a little bit of a push to go to the East Coast that brought me into DuPont. I always like to look at the broader aspect of things, and I think that fascinates me, though I do enjoy the research, and even now as my group is managing managing different programs, quite hands-on with them, to be honest, because I enjoy the science. I hope that answers your question. No, it's, a, it's a great answer and a, a very honest one. I appreciate the the fact that we are all humans and we all have our professional goals. And, and sometimes that path looks different than we might envision initially. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your, I'll call it boldness and taking advantage of opportunities that they, uh, as they've arisen. It's uh, it's clearly worked very well for you. And and I'll say for the, the field of plant pathology, you play such an important role in shaping the research that's happening across the country. I really appreciate that. And then that's the thing, especially for the younger generation, oftentimes it's that if you want to have a career and a family, oftentimes it becomes hard to balance. So there are some trade-offs that you have to do, but that does not mean you have to give up your passion. There are, especially now, and it's becoming, and I really appreciate it, that there are more accommodations. Things are becoming more flexible, that we are able to do it. Don't feel like you have to stick to something and give up your family life or give up other stuff just to be able to continue your career. There are options and you can always come back. I'm hearing your prior life as a career counselor in in that advice. While we're on this topic, uh, a moment ago, you, before we started recording, we chatted a little bit about your experiences as a woman in science and how that changed throughout your career, how the challenges for women in science have changed. Would you elaborate a bit on on what it was like to come here as a student and, and to work in plant pathology as a professional all these years? So I think if I start off with challenges, I should probably start at the beginning when I came into agriculture. And as I was mentioning, our class was, we were less than 1% female. And everything was designed for men. I still remember I was given a massive produce and tractor. I don't know if you've ever seen those very old. I was supposed to drive that and I had to literally stand up to get the accelerator moving. But the thing was within me, what it did was it made me take it up as a challenge is I will do this. And it's that spirit that why can't I do it? Why is it that anything is only supposed to be for men? Or why does that distinction has to be? Nowadays, as I see, and it has things in the past two, three decades has changed a lot. But that fight through it was great. And one of the reasons, honestly, for me to 
want to come to the U.S. was because of the ability, the liberties that we had here, the opportunities that we had here, which now has changed. Even India has grown by leaps and bounds and the whole culture has changed and walked forward a lot. But one of the reasons for coming was to was for childcare. So even if I had a family, I could still work. I could still follow my, my profession. And it was secure for me to travel wherever I wanted to. I, I love traveling. So those were some of the things that were not so easy at that time for someone in terms of, in terms of safety and availability of resources. So those basic challenges. And then the other thing which comes up is also the expectation. You have to be a good professional to be able to hold the positions that you hold and you have to put in as much as the other gender does. But you also are expected to be a good mother. You're expected to take care of the house. You're expected to cook and you're expected to do everything. So that adds a lot of burden on women. And I've seen that really retard a lot of people when they become too conscious. Yes, we deal with guilt. And I'll be very upfront. Sometimes it's we deal with guilt and we're not perfect in everything. And you cannot do 10 things at the same time. Multitasking is good, but multitasking is not always a reality. So I think being able to understand that, accept that, and partner with people, there is help available. So being able to stand up for yourself and fight it through, it is possible. And, and that's why I am a big proponent of all the different arrangements that we make now in meetings, having a place for kids. I know I had a two-year, I had to, me and my husband exchanged my son at the airport, literally, at NDSU. I still remember my flight was an hour late and he had to fly out as here's the kid and here are the keys. And that's how life was, but things are changing. Now I could have just taken him with me to the lead. I had to give up a lot of things that I could need to, but now it's possible. And also society overall is being more open and more adjusting. I think there's a better sharing of responsibilities. That's, those were the things that we had to really fight through. Five hours of sleep was a lot. And you were there, Jim, in Minnesota. I had an awesome advisor at a very supportive lab, but I remember bringing my son back from the hospital and at night, and I got an email from everywhere. My PhD thesis was cesarean preliminary sequencing. Those times was the first, the second uh, fungal genome to be sequenced. So it was a big deal that we had been fighting for it. And the whole genome sequence came out the day my son was born. And I was waiting with all my data just to be able to do the comparison. So I had a out of the hospital kid in a basket sitting there doing data analysis. But that's how things were. And uh, we did it not because always we had to do it, but because we wanted to do it too. I am a positive person, so I won't let things. As I said, as I started taking challenges, we'll continue doing that. Great. And, and I'm sure that many of our listeners can relate to your own experiences, even if they have their own version of that. And it, it really is exciting to hear your journey and to see where you're at today it really is inspiring. I'm curious if you could turn back the clock on your career to the time you're a student, what would you do differently or what would you tell that young person that maybe you didn't know then, but you see clearly now? 
I think one of the things I was challenged with initially, I would say, is the availability of information and and also some of the opportunities that were not as, maybe they were there, but we didn't know as much about them. So for those who are there now, I think they have the chance to actually start gaining these experiences and planning their life out a little bit more. Though always keep the flexibility for things that pop up. Sometimes surprises are there that will change the direction of your career for good. But being able to really think about things, pick up the opportunities as they come, and use the information that is available. And also the other thing is follow something that you're really passionate about. Instead of having to do something that is the norm, because there are all these different divergent careers that are coming up, all these interdisciplinary areas. If you look at science, if you look at other careers as well, just use that information. Think about a course in life as you follow. Don't just jumping here and there is good initially when you're exploring, but after that, I think it's good to try to follow a track if you want to really build a career instead of being super scattered and take advantage of all the things that are there. Take advantage of not only these experiences, but also mentoring. There is a lot of stuff that's available. Even APS has an awesome group of people who are out there and reaching out to people. People are much more open now than they were. If I were to do it differently, I would do a lot more research. I don't know if my career path would have been different, but it would certainly have been less stressful because I would have known what I was getting into before going there. So I think that's the biggest thing that difference would have been in in my career. And I would like to have continued to have had a little bit more time for some other creative things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, there are so many aspects to life and science so little time in so many ways. Exactly. My final question, you mentioned APS a moment ago and the importance of APS in student mentoring. You've been very actively involved in our professional society. Throughout your career, you continue to be involved. How has APS impacted you as a professional? I think APS has had a huge impact on my career. It was the first professional society I became a part of as a graduate student. My first leadership opportunities were with APS. Uh, I was the chair of the diversity committee for a while. It was, it was a nice soft landing in a way, but a real opportunity to go out and interact with people. APS has really helped me build the network, a lot of the network that I have. And I was actually thinking uh, the other day, talking with someone, is I realized that almost all the positions I have had except probably the one in industry, was all through people I had met at APS. Either it was the APS job board, someone approached me, or they met me and then reached out, or one way or the other. Those are some things, other than, of course, the science, learning what's going on and being part of things that APS has. I have served on multiple committees over the years, as much as I've been able to in all these transitions in career. But APS has played an awesome role. There's, I, in my 
23 years in the U.S., I have missed only one APS meeting. So I think APS has really has a great value and it has created itself, especially for early career people, as a, such a strong network building support system that it is, it's absolutely valuable. And that's why whenever I get a chance, I try to contribute however much I can. Oh, wonderful to hear that. And certainly rings true to me as well. So Rubella, this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, As we wrap up, is there anything that you want listeners to know? So since the topic of the discussion started off with more careers and the diversity of careers and the need for diversity, I would say just as you are planning your career, or even if you are somewhere in the middle of your career, keeping options open, I would say for the different experiences, whether you want to change your track or you don't, but those diverse experiences really help you at all the different phases of life in different ways. For students, it could be internships and eventual job opportunities. For faculty, it could be collaborations or resources and funding with industry. For government, it could be building programs and networks to bring things together. But just having those connections is super valuable. And so keep that in mind. And also, nothing is impossible. We just have to try. That is a great um, end to a really wonderful conversation. Rubella, thanks so much for being on Plantopia today. Appreciate it. We have just heard from Dr. Rubella Goswami the Division Director of Plant Protection at USDA NEFA. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Plantopia and all of our episodes in Season 3. I've had the privilege of hosting this podcast now for two years, and I am excited to share the big changes are coming to Plantopia in Season 4. Recognizing that Plantopia, like our field of plant pathology itself, really benefits from the wealth of diverse ideas and lived experiences of our colleagues, I've decided that it's time to welcome new voices to our podcast. And I am thrilled to share that the APS Council has appointed Dr. Matt Casson as the host of Plantopia beginning in January of 2024. Matt is an associate professor at West Virginia University. An expert in mycology and forest pathology, Matt is also a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion. His social media impact is beyond compare, and he has brought attention to our field on national public radio and in the pages of the New York Times and and many other outlets. And if you're a longtime listener of Plantopia, you might recall my conversation with Matt of Peeps and People in Plant Pathology in season two. I wanna take a moment to thank our many colleagues who contribute to Plantopia. Over the past two years, our podcast has benefited from a behind the scenes ad hoc committee that curates a guest list that truly represents the many facets of diversity that's represented in their field and in our colleagues. I want to thank Mark Leeson, who chaired this committee, and committee members Lindsay Dutois, Morgan Carter, David Ghent, Wynn Beatty, and Jonathan Jacobs. A special thanks also goes out to our technical producers from Association Briefings, Colby Horton and Frank Umada. And we couldn't produce Plantopia without the support of APS Council and the incomparable APS staff. Thanks to all of our guests on Plantopia, and thanks to each of you, our listeners. 
I'm personally excited to see Plantopia continue to evolve to meet the needs and opportunities of plant health enthusiasts all over the world. Thanks for listening.